Hello, this is Hannah Lippard, and I am currently the superhost of the Museum of Contemporary Art in Antwerp, a year-long exhibition as well as performance programme, both live and online. For the final season of this programme, Share, I decided to broadcast a series of works I've made in collaboration with Stephen Warwick for the past decade, all starting with Stephen inviting me to read at his exhibition in the Berlin project space Kinderhook in Caracas in 2012. Since then, we have been working across a wide range of media, such as records, video works, joke nights, Swiss performances, narrated plays, art prizes, etc. The radio show will play selected documentation from these collaborations, including Auto Reply, a 2016 performance in Rappersville, Switzerland, of missed connections and email correspondences, the play The Public Image, 2015, performed at New Theatre Berlin, featuring spoken word by Warwick and silently acted by myself, as well as music from Warwick's music project Heatsick, which includes my narration on re-engineering, as well as a video I made for the track Mimosa, both 2013. For every show at MUCA, I write a poem. This is the poem for Cher. Sharing is caring, sharing is sharing. JPEG, PDF, EUR, USD, SCD, MP3, CCTV. Shit that fly on the wall has been there for weeks and is probably no longer alive under this flickering neon light which reminds me of last summer, which reminds me of when you said 36 degrees are six too many. And I agree that 36 degrees are six too many, thus sharing not only an opinion, but also a sun. The same one, the same sun, as the here and now, rather than the there and the not rather than the weather or not, of the weather and the resonance of the file that I recently deleted. Saxophone Backyard Neighbour MP3, which takes me aback to the backyard of forgotten memories. Dear Stephen, this message has been swissed, dissed, dismissed, discussed, dissected, whistled, and blown. Fee-fo-fum. Latest news. Fresh old dinosaurs have just arrived in the Naturkunde Museum 
Tomorrow's News. Wie gefährlich ist eigentlich Berlin? Laziest News. I can't be RSVP'd. Lavatory. Can be found at rear end. Lavender. Behind the air at night for sleep. Improvements. Life vest for infants. There seems to be only one on board. Daydreams for business class. Gay dreams for working class. I got a free chocolate on board. But that's all I got for free. Otherwise, spent money on fruits, spent money on juice, spent money on news, spent money on cues, spent a penny at the rear end. Flushed. But not, um, um, uh, um, embarrassed. Embar embarrassed? Umber, embarrassed. Embar embarrassed. Embarrassed. Could never spell that word. Nor smell it. This is a remix.
<clears throat> Dear Stephen, this message has been flushed, gushed, pushed to the max. Coke lied. Honestly. Efflux, reflux, recluse of no use to society. It might be user-friendly, but it's rude enough to have its own schnauzer. Online alone, online alone, online alone, online alone, online alone, alien. Could I see your boarding pass, please? Boredom in passing. Who said first class was for winners? More like sinners in tax haven. Hello, Mr. Seat 36D. Welcome to my world. Mr. Seat 34C has removed his socks and his shoes and is holding his head in both his hands in deep concentration over a book with microscopic writing on microeconomy. Good luck. And welcome to the whoa, 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 whoa world. Set in flight mode. I traveled the given air miles, and all I got was this silly little chocolate, still heart-shaped, one day after Valentine's. outside Darlington. That's the north of England. I was in London yesterday and now I'm heading north with the breadwoman. They're serving us tea and complimentary refreshments and we are caffeinated and laughing despite this long wait. They tried to make us get off the train 30 minutes ago to join a replacement. But we said, no, no, no. And what do you know? We were able to stay on. And besides, they only had one wheelchair and the other platform was steps only. So we stayed on in an empty carriage 
and add cake, crisps, sandwiches, and hobnobs. Seven hours in, they offered some wine, two glasses, both for me, the card said. The sun has now set. scattered around the car park 
and we see the hotel is six floors up, all becomes clear. As we check in, we see two more men, red-eyed, coming out of the room, with empty pizza boxes. When we see our rooms, we're met with the intense smell of toilet cleaner. We check out and get a cab to a standard opus. Dear Stephen, I have been censored, or rather my work has, which is perhaps the same thing. Encyclopedia Britannica does not include profanities. Encyclopedia Genitalia It seems. The head of the RCA says, don't go willy-nilly in the United Kingdom, even if it's run by a queen and not a king. Sweetie said Queenie. Queenie said Sweetie. Let's have some tea. It's uh, good to talk about things over a be beverage. When content is hot, mind you, it might hurt. Wear a glove. All of our meals are portable, Compatible, compostable, digestible, undeniably good, and made by human hands. Just remember to um, chew before you swallow, and spit before you speak. Dear Hannah, today I looked out at Lake Zurich and thought, if I was a Swiss swan, I'd get my eight hours sleep every night. Swans don't need any serum or any speedy boarding. Or to be taken in aside 
because their keyboard is sprenched off. But they don't get a chocolate at the end of the flight. Let's still wonder. to identify the body and give answers to questions, numbly overwhelmed by his unspeakable trick. The face was bandaged and decent. They had arranged flowers around the high trolley on which it lay. She looked and said formally, yes, that is my husband. She touched the forehead, my husband.
sight of the crowd at her door, many of whom she had recognised as her neighbours, had restored her to practical thoughts. But she looked at her watch and said to the doctor, It's just past two. I must say something to the press now, or I'll be too late for the morning papers. But you must sleep. Sleep. You know. No. I have a public image to consider. I have a public image. No. I have a public to consider. No. I need my name at a time like this. I don't want... She said then to consider the public image. She said then. She said then. She said then. This must be a terrible moment for you, Annabelle. You are very brave. Very. You are quite a frail. Small. Woman. quite a frail, small woman. She got out of the car as the door was yanked open by two or three newsmen. She could not hear one of the questions in the noise and babbled from the wandering crowd, but she clutched the doctor's arms and shouted to him, Tell them to let me through and come back in half an hour. I'll talk to them then. I have to go and see my baby. Just half an hour. Firm and solid, she was ready with her child already dressed for the drive home. Annabelle sat on the bed while the doctor and his wife continued their argument. Press conference is not civilised. To lay in the newspapers, the cameras now, and she should be resting. Resting. But you're going to give her to sleep. It's a matter of her profession. You know how it is with me. This is ridiculous for an actress to think of the public when there is a private tragedy. You'll say no more. You will be silent. Silence. Silence. Annabelle said... I know you would have wanted me to carry on with my career. That's what Frederick would have wanted, Annabelle said. I know you would have my my career. career. She was pleased at the sound of her words and repeated them in her head. My career. My career. unnatural for her to have a press conference at this moment. Annabelle responded at once with a protective movement towards the baby on the bed. Annabelle, still holding her baby like a triumphant shield, looked again at the lumpy little girl with extreme distaste and said, it's time she was in bed. 
I think you must take her home right away. You must go home with your little girl now. Child's face turned pudding. You've been wonderful. I want to stay with my neighbours. The doctor returned to the bedroom then, with a glass of warmed up wine and two aspirins obtained from the neighbours. The doctor put the aspirins half by half into her mouth and she washed them down with the warm wine and let her tears splash onto the side of the glass. Annabelle responded at once with a protective movement towards the baby on the bed. You're taking the baby in there, said Mrs. Tomasi, indicating the rumorous drawing room. She half forgot that her tormentor was a child. She said, and said, Get out, you beast! tears had dried up in a fit of anger with the doctor's child. Yeah. Not she now glanced through the door at the assembled children. And seeing the girl among them said quietly, It's extremely unintelligent. Extremely intelligent child. Don't take many tired. Annabelle's eyes were brimming again. Responding to his sympathy. At the moment, he met with the press who had been just arrived. There they found Annabelle suitably arranged. Her neighbours now suddenly silent. Hands open as if in appeal for pity. Hands at throat in the gesture of sudden disaster. Hands in despair. Holding the side of the head. How do you feel, Annabelle? Chilly. Cold. Giorgio was sent for a woolen shawl. Mrs. Christopher, had you any idea your husband was going to do this? Do what? She said softly. It was an accident, you know.
tired of a lack of center. Modern life is still rubbish, you say. Modern rubbish is still life. Portrait of the city in three colors. Red, yellow and green.
sunny swirl of exhaust fumes, that faint, smoky turquoise big city colour. I stand on the pavement waiting to cross at the lights. Suddenly, I know that I don't know the direction of the traffic. Do cars here drive on the left or the right-hand side of the road? A cluster of Italian au pair girls, their voices mellow and labial, like a chorus escaped from an opera, pass me. I hear, in the crowd, an adenoidal Nebraskan contralto, twangy as a jaw harp. Turn to a dizzy tourist myself, forgetful and jet-shot. I have to hunt in my head for the language spoken here. But this is where you live. It's your city. London or New York, or wherever. And its language is the language you've always known, the language from which being you, being me, are inseparable. In those days' moments at stoplights, it's possible to be a stranger to yourself, to be so doubtful as to who you are that you have to check on things like the placards around the news vendors' kiosks or the uniforms of the traffic policemen who are believing to drift and you need anchors to tether you down. In cities, we've good reason to shrink from strangers. High rates of murder and assault are not in themselves symptoms of urban congestion. A remote, low-density rural area like Cardiganshire in West Wales can more than hold its own against London and its per capita murder figures. But in rural areas, the majority of the victims of violent crime know their assailants, indeed, are probably married to them. In cities, the killer and the mugger come out of the anonymous dark. Their faces unrecognised, their motives obscure. In a city, you can be known, envied, 
hated by strangers. In your turn, you can feel the exaggerated operatic emotions that the city arouses in its inhabitants. The urban terrorist, the footpad, the envy, the angry brigadier, the weatherman, is the final ugly performer in grease paint and grandiloquent gesture of a drama which is for the most of us, thankfully, a mental affair. A script in the head which few of us are sufficiently mad or desperate to act out. I'm woken in the small hours by the sound of a girl achieving her climax. A deep shriek of pleasure that has nothing to do with me. I can hear her man sigh as close as if he and I were under the same sheet. On another night, a TV blares through an open window with a late night show. On another, a woman is crying, a miserable train of broken hiccups. A man, I can hear his feet crackling on the bare boards, says, Shut up, why don't you bloody well shut up? Then there are nights of joke hashing. Someone mutters like a priest going quickly through a private office, followed by bursts of yellow adenoidal laughter. The routine is well repeated and repeated. I fall asleep alone with Australians in my ears. The flat across the well is occupied by a gaggle of people and most of them are passing through. They flit when it suits them. I can't hear their faces, let alone their names, to these night noises. Letters come for them and go soggy and stale in the mailbox. We share a front door, nothing more. Could that girl there, with the dough pudding features and the shabby twin set, be the same girl who was so rapturously fulfilled last night? Perhaps, for unlikeliness is the key here. We pay heads, bodies and legs with incongruous fragments of other people's lives. It's only with consistent behaviour, where all the details fit, that strangers become knowable, that their lives take on a pattern you can sympathise with and understand. As long as they remain like this, Inchoate and unplotted, they are spooks. The easiest thing to do with them is to knit them into a paranoid fantasy. So lonely old people, and not just in cities, conceive of the active, fragmentary life around them as a concerted plot full of sinister coincidences. To live in a city is to live in a community of people who are strangers to each other. You have to act on hints and fancies. They are all that the mobile and cellular nature of city life will allow you. You expose yourself in and are exposed to by others, fragments, isolated signals, bare disconnected gestures, jungle cries and whispers resist all your attempts to unravel their meaning, their consistency. As urban dwellers, 
We live in a world marked by the people at the next table. The man glimpsed in the street with a bowler hat and a hacksaw and never seen again. The girl engrossed in her orgasm across the airwell. So much takes place in the head. So little is known and fixed. Signals, styles, systems of rapid, highly conventionalized communication the lifeblood of the big city. It's when these systems break down, when we lose our grasp on the grammar of urban life, that the envies take over. The city, our great modern form, is soft, amenable to a dazzling and libidinous variety of lives, dreams, interpretations. But the very plastic qualities which make the city the great liberator of human identity also cause it to be especially vulnerable to psychosis and totalitarian nightmare. If it can, in the platonic ideal, be the highest expression of man's reason and sense of his own community with other men, the city can also be a violent sub-realist expression of his panic, his envy, his hatred of strangers, his callousness. It's easy to drop people in the city, where size and anonymity and the absence of clear communal sanctions
you can choose to leave. Sensual, your kiss I knew was way. 